Hello, and welcome to the Social Protection Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Sharp. Once in a while, a social protection program becomes famous. These programs somehow become part of the popular imagery, serving as an international reference of what to do or not to do. These flagship programs have been researched and evaluated thoroughly for many years. But while you may know their main features and the headline facts, you're probably less familiar with the disagreement, compromise and evolution that has made them what they are today. In this episode, we bring you the stories behind Brazil's Bolsa Familia, a conditional cash transfer program, or CCT, established in 2003, that has served as a template for many similar programs in other countries. We'll speak with the designers and implementers who have worked on Bolsa Familia throughout its 18-year history about the design choices they disputed and the hard-won lessons they learned. And, in light of the recent announcement of a provisional but contentious new program that could replace Bolsa Familia in Brazil, we'll hear their different ideas on where programs like Bolsa Familia should go from here. So let's go back to, to 2003. This is Luiz Henrique Paiva. He worked at the implementation team of Bolsa Familia from 2010 to 2015 and served as National Secretary of the program. He continues to research and write about the program as a public policy specialist. That time, the, the, the country had three cash transfers that were operational at the national level. So there was a clear perception that, that these programs should be unified. After the, the election in the, in the first year of the of Lula administration, they, they unified these programs and created Bolsa Familia. At that point, it created the conditions to have a broader, a larger, more effective program. But it was necessary to make it work. Well, the essential features are primarily the essential features of conditional cash transfers. In other words, we transfer cash, not in kind. These programs have a focus on families, not individuals. It's a targeted program that it tries to reach poor families. And finally, it's, uh, it's conditional. Uh, in other words, uh, there are a few conditions that the family must comply to in order to receive the benefit. Yeah, the thing is, in Brazil, in 2000-2002, we had different CCTs at the federal government. We had different kinds of grants that you have at different ministries uh, with different uh, databases and different uh, eligibility criteria. So it was a little bit of a mess because they are not efficient and they are not effective enough because they were fragmented. This is Teresa Cota. She was part of the working group that designed Bolsa Familia and has worked on the program from various ministries for the past 18 years. There was this widespread opinion that you should do something about it. You should continue this pro these programs, but you should not have a lot of different programs. And then this is how Bolsa Familia started. They put together a team. You gather all people that had different programs, everybody at the same group trying to design this program. And also specialists 
and public servants. And it was completely insane because you had people are losing power when are losing their programs and there was a reaction about it. And there wasn't a, a, a clear leadership in the social area and the government. The whole change in the mindset was that during the first Fernando Henrique presidency, I think the people, the, the ministers were engaged in the idea that poverty was such a complicated issue, requires a very comprehensive approach and very complex things and so on. So it's not something that we could just solve. It, it would take a long time and it would be complicated. This is Ricardo Paez de Barros. He has been a researcher on social policy, inequality and labour at Brazil's National Institute for Applied Economic Research for over 20 years. His research has helped to inform Bolsa Familia from the outset. There was two new discoveries at that point. First, that income matters. Some people say, no, what the poor needs is not income. It's multiple things. It's very complicated. No, no, no. Money matters. So uh, if we double their income, they'll be very happy and they can, with this money, fulfill a lot of social rights. The second thing was, say, thematics. It's basically thematics. I mean, poverty, it's ridiculously inexpensive because they work the whole year to earn 10% of the population, 20 million people work the whole year to earn 5% of GDP. Brazil was so unequal. It's a feature of a middle-income country with huge level of inequality that helping the poor, it's a ridiculously small financial effort. So putting those two things together, at that point in time, Brazil was creating a fund to fight poverty. So we can find the poor, income matters, and we have the money. So let's do it. Conditions are, of course, at the heart of Bolsa Familia. These include a requirement for families to maintain school attendance for children, as well as comply with basic health care demands for vulnerable groups, such as children and pregnant women. There's plenty of debate within the international community about whether conditions like these are effective or necessary, and different views persist even amongst those closely involved with the Bolsa Familia program. I was actually not a great fan of the conditionality. I'm completely in favor of the autonomy of the poor family. But I think this issue of conditionality is a little bit paternalistic and I didn't like it very much, but I think um, Bolsa Familia gained a lot of political mileage from this. A lot of people think this is a great idea. I would say that removing the conditionality is very politically sensitive, I think. And there's some evidence that this really gives the right incentives for investments in human capital. I agree on that, but it there is a loss of liberty, of choice, and I'm not saying that it's not effective. I just would prefer a worse program just because I think this would give more protagonism and autonomy to, to people. And I think this is good and I would pay a price for that. But uh, I agree it's more efficient if we do it in a conditional way. I remember being very mad 
when I was at the design group because I really thought that we should have an unconditional cash transfer program back then. And I thought the idea of deserving your transfer, I, I was infuriated by this idea. Back then, you do not have conditions to have an unconditional cash transfer because people had this idea that the poor people should deserve what they were receiving. So they think conditionality is about sticks and carrots. And this is not really how conditionalities in Bolsa Familia work, but it was the feeling at the time. So you also had to work a lot on conditionalities in order to regulate them, in order to make the arrangements with the ministries of education and health for conditionalities to work. Bolsa Familia works because it didn't try to do everything by itself. It works because it tries to work with the municipalities and it works because it tries to follow conditionalities using the, the networks that are already there. The idea about conditionalities, it's uh, something very punitive. So if families don't comply, if families don't send kids to the school, you should cut their benefits as soon as possible in order to create a strong incentive for them to, a negative, but incentive anyway, for them to come back to, to, to school, etc. And um, later on, at, at least from the perspective of the people that were working on the program, conditionalities are a bit ineffective, actually, because if, the, if families are not sending kids to the school, probably there is something very wrong with the family. And we should get to them uh, with social assistance teams to check what is going on and to try to help them. Cutting benefits is something that is not going to help at all. And to a certain point, without making any great or, or perceptible change in the legislation, we changed the way conditionalities were implemented and adopted a softened version of it. So for families to have their benefits cut, there are a series of warnings. First, they receive a letter. Later on, they, they have their benefits cut for one month, but they can withdraw the benefits in the next month, etc. Our idea is, is never uh, lose contact with the family. Because if you cut the benefit and lose contact with the family, it's at the worst possible situation. Monitoring compliance to conditionalities can be difficult and expensive. Programs may not have the real capacity to properly check whether people are meeting their obligations, let alone follow up with solutions. When countries have strong bureaucratic difficulties to, to monitor conditionality and they want to have a sort of conditional cash transfer, they should unlabel it as conditional and remember the family that they should take their, their, their kids to school, they should go to, to see doctors on a regular basis. But I mean, Leave it as a label. Don't spend too much time uh, trying to, to control families. Label it and probably um, the label will have some impact because, because you were emphasizing how important education and health services are and that they have the right to education and the right to health services. So only labeling is relevant. Looking back, I think Bolsa Familia has transformed a very dangerous thought about the sticks and carrots of the CCT model. I think Bolsa Familia has 
made it in a different way and it was very positive for the families that are in the program. This is not to punish the families that did not comply with conditionalities. The idea was to identify how many families are not being able to comply and to send their kids to school, to keep with the, so the health agenda of the, the children and then to make possible to offer these services to them. Right now, I look back and I think I was wrong. Really, it was nice because we did it in a very intelligent way, in a way that favors the, the families. Bolsa Familia is a poverty-targeted program. In its original design, local governments and municipalities were responsible for applying means tests to determine who was poorest with beneficiary data stored in Brazil's single registry, or Cadastro Unico. Poverty targeting is a common approach in social protection, one way to ration benefits to manage costs. But, as the case of Bolsa Familia demonstrates, it isn't straightforward. And, as in many countries, there are trade-offs between how many people are covered and how much they receive. I think that what problems uh, conditional cash transfers like Bolsa Familia have contributed to the, the, this debate is that they demonstrated that developing countries can successfully implement targeted programs because um, many scholars have put in doubt that developing countries' bureaucracies could make it work. I remember that these two challenges were most uh, important. How many people do we really have to reach with Bolsa Familia? And how can we keep on constantly improving the quality of the registry in order to make sure that we are giving benefits to the people that really have to receive these benefits? In Brazil, we talk a lot about inclusion errors, but it really is not the problem of the program. People that say that, say without looking at the data, this is very sad to say, but it's true because uh, even back then, we already had a very satisfactory level of focalization, as we, we call in Brazil, because the problem expanded its coverage without losing focus, even working with self-declared income. So people really cannot accept that people are going to self-declare their income and that we have to check this declaration afterwards. After that, with Brasilia Without Extreme Poverty Plan, the idea was to reach the people that the problem could not reach because they were not covered by the social assistance network. They do not have access to information and they live in very far away places from the central government. So the priority after this period was really to focus on the exclusion errors. When you discuss this kind of program with ideological positions on your mind, you only think about the inclusion errors, even if the data doesn't show it to you. So I think it's it's a bias when you analyze this kind of program. It has to do with your vision of social protection and how, which kind of society do you want to have and what's the role of the state and what if the state uh, can offer protection to people that cannot provide for, for themselves through the market or through the families. 
But should we adopt targeted programs or should we go for a more universal approach? This is a, a completely different question, and uh, I'm not very sure that both of Amiga have has given a permanent answer. Uh, I, I have to say that I, I, I don't believe that a, a typical universal approach would be feasible, and not only for developing countries, but also for developed countries, actually keep uh, telling the government that we need a program that benefits fewer people and give a better benefit. We need a larger benefit for fewer people. We are dispersing too much of our resources around too many people. But every time I talk to the government about giving benefits to fewer people, they say, oh, no, let's talk about something else. There was a lot of controversy in Brazil about how many poor and extreme poor people do you really have? Because we do not have an official poverty line. From the beginning, we knew that eligibility lines of Bolsa Família were very low because they were defined at the minimum level. The amount of, of budget that is going to be allocated in the program is decided by the government in place. And the, the consequence of this, that this is a discretionary policy, this is a big problem in the Bolsa Família, because right now you, you have an eligibility line that are very low. The value of this line is compared to very low-income countries. This is ridiculous. We should have made the program as a right not as a discretionary program that any government should give. Or... So I think our biggest mistake was not to be able to negotiate a mechanism to periodically update the value of the eligibility lines and the values of the benefits. Because right now, the governments do whatever they want to, to Bolsa Familia program. Programs like Bolsa Familia along with programs like Mexico's Progressa, established a kind of template for conditional cash transfers that have been adapted in many countries. So why has it been so influential? It makes the obvious point that everybody in the world can fight extreme poverty in a very effective way. It makes clear that money matters and a little bit of money in the hands of the poor, it's a good idea. It's obvious, so every country can do that in, in, to some extent. But also, Brazil was able to implement this. It's a very simple idea, but said, can it be done? Can we really find the poor and give them the money? So actually, I think Brazil was an example of a gigantic country that could do it in a very large scale. People here in Brazil started demonstrating that the program had a very good impact on poverty reduction. Uh, let me just qualify this last statement because it's it's got a very good impact considering its budget. But these programs have a, a quite limited budget. Both familiar costs 0.4% of GDP. It's a, a very low cost program. So um no one can believe that we are going to eradicate poverty, spend 0.5% of GDP. It's not going to work. So nowadays we can say that extreme poverty would be like one third larger than it is today. 
without the most familiar program. I mean, it's it's massive when you consider that it costs 0.54% of GDP. It's a very uh, little cost compared to the impact. But even so, it's a limited impact. A little bit mixed with the idea that uh, poverty in Brazil was going down by so much that people may have the wrong feeling that uh, was because of Bolsa Família. I mean, the reduction in poverty and extreme poverty during Lula and President Dilma administration was enormous, was gigantic. But just a small part of that was Bolsa Família. Most of the decline in poverty was productive inclusion. And that's not recognized all over the world. We, we declined extreme poverty at a rate that was four times faster than the Millennium Development Goal. So it was very fast. But only one-fourth of that was actually Bolsa Familia. And Bolsa Familia cannot really keep going and reducing in a dynamic way. Well, there is a tendency for us to believe that our relevance is actually larger than it is. Cash transfers have been in place before Bolsa Familia. And conditionalities were also in, in place in not in exactly in the same kind of program. I believe everything, and it's a process. And so we, we are not uh, parents of these, what is or going on in, in 70 countries. It's a process. Every country uh, adds to this new social protection, but we had a lot that we, we should uh, be learning from these uh, new experiences and act, actually trying to improve and to think about the next steps uh, instead of being here and say, oh, how good we are. Like established social protection programs all over the world, Bolsa Familia was pressed into service to respond to the economic impacts of COVID-19. At the same time, the government also established Auxilio Emergencial, an emergency aid program. It provided temporary cash transfers to 28 million informal and low-income workers. I truly believe that the Brazilian experience with both Familia and the Cadastro Único was essential for the country to give a rapid and effective response to, to uh, COVID-19. So if it was possible to reach families that were not exactly poor or vulnerable, but that had been uh, hit by the crisis, it has to do with the fact that we've been working for almost 20 years with the Bolsa Familia program and with the Cadastro Unico. I believe that uh, Auxilio Emergencial gave us a lot of lessons. First lesson is that it's massive. It, it, it would cost, if we adopted it permanently, like 7% of GDP. Keep in mind that Bolsa Familia costs 0.4%. Obviously, it's not I mean, affordable. But it's very difficult for any government to go back to Bolsa Familia. I mean, for Bolsa Familia, Bolsa Familia has a budget, and we have to limit the, the number of families based on, on the budget. All the other programs in our social protection, you have to adapt the budget to the number of beneficiaries. And Bolsa Familia is the only one that we have to adapt the number of beneficiaries due to the, the, the budget. And Auxilio Emergencial didn't have this limit of budget as well. So I think that Auxilio Emergencial pushed us towards a more rights-based approach. As we were preparing this episode, the government of Brazil announced a new provisional program that could replace Bolsa Familia. 
the Auxilio Brasil program. This new program will reportedly reach more families, 16 million compared with Bolsa Familia's 14.6 million, and increase the basic benefit by up to 50%. But it also comes with more contentious features. The proposed design introduces additional payments for children, rewarding academic and athletic achievement, or for adults who enter formal sector employment. Formalising this program will require approval from both the Congress and the Senate to become permanent, and the details remain to be seen. But the idea of a new program to replace the 18-year-old Bolsa Familia has understandably created waves amongst social protection practitioners in Brazil. So, with change on the horizon, we'll conclude with our experts' reflections on what the future of the program should look like. I truly believe that we are going to move to a more rights-based approach to, to conditionalities. In other words, we are going to monitor if families are attending conditionalities, not to punish them, but to be uh, absolutely sure that kids are in the school and that families have access to health services and, and nothing more than that, with no uh, punitivism related to this program. I'm really sure we were going in this direction. I think the production inclusion sometimes is a kind of a dream. I mean, it's much harder and uh, the evidence is much weaker that we can really design things that we're really going to be working and it's not easy. But I think the right to self-reliance, it's a fundamental human right. And uh, we have to do everything we can to make people to be able to rely on themselves. And it doesn't matter how much it would cost to make everybody productive and capable of fulfill of all their basic needs based on their own account. But it's a goal and it's hard to do. And if Brazil, if Bolsa Família has any future, it's in the direction of uh, Brazil sem miseria with a very solid productive inclusion, in particular to the extent that we are going to move out of this pandemic. So if it was already a fundamental program, nowadays it's an imperative. After the pandemic and after the, the context of 2020-2021, the experts have been discussing how to change Bolsa Familia into a, an unconditional cash transfer program directed to the children, a basic income to families, poor families with children. I think that will be okay. I think that the program should be going this way. I am really sad about seeing the program come back to that time when you discuss that people should or not deserve to receive the benefits. So I think the perceptions were always the idea that people should deserve to receive these transfers. And I think this idea is coming back again. They really think that we cannot simply pay the cash transfer to these families. They have to deserve it. They have to have outstanding performance in schools, in sports, the adults have to try to look for work as if they don't try to look for work. We used to joke about it, saying that the governments have the tendency to think that you can have, you know, an ejection button when you are in a CCT program that you push this button and the 
boom, poor families are not poor anymore, and then you are going to enter the, the formal labor market and everything is going to be okay. This just doesn't happen that way. It takes time, it takes generations, it takes a, an economy which is growing, which having a dynamic that is absorbing workers and vulnerable workers. This is not every period of an economy that is suitable for this to happen. So it's a mess. It's a mess because you really, you know, you do not have the conviction that people should be receiving this because the, the state has in an unequal society that do not give opportunities to all. You should provide for these people and they are not receiving it because they want to. It's because they, there is no alternative for them. So what it's important is to look at this as a right of the people that are receiving and not as a benefit given by the politician in charge. So I think the main message would be Bolsa Família, I think it would be better than it could develop to an unconditional cash transfer program and maintaining the focus on poor families with children. I don't think this happens only in Brazil, but it's sad. It's sad because when you have an experience that have proved itself as effective for almost 20 years, you still have these things going on. I think you really cannot erase this kind of perceptions because it is a prejudice. It is impossible to change this perception with facts. Thanks to Teresa, Louise and Ricardo for their insights. If you're interested in learning more about Bolsa Familia, please check the additional resources in the show notes. And if you're interested in this kind of deep dive into famous flagship social protection programs, please let us know what you'd like to hear featured next. Before we go, we'll end with our quick win segment. Each month, we'll ask a guest to give a quick roundup of news, achievements, research or knowledge that has sparked their interest and that we think you should know more about. This week, we have with us Fabio Vieres Soares, who is a research coordinator at the International Policy Center for Inclusive Growth and the Institute for Applied Economic Research in Brazil. He has worked on the impact evaluations of cash transfers and other social programs in many countries, including naturally in Brazil. Welcome, Fabio. Thank you, Joe. So continuing on from our main interview for this episode, you've brought with you a paper on the impacts of Bolsa Familia on formal employment. Yes, it's a paper that has been published in June 2021. The paper is called Cash Transfers and Formal Labor Markets Evidence for Brazil. Uh, it's written by Francois Gerard from the Queen Mary University of London, Joanna Nayutomi from the London School of Economics, and Joanna Silva from the World Bank. So basically, they use a natural experiment to identify the impact of the 2009 Bolsa Familia expansion on local formal employment and other indicators of local economy activity, such as municipal GDP and tax paid in the municipality. They actually compare how after the reform, the number of formal sector workers has um, increased or decreased. And what they find is that compared to the bottom 50% of the municipalities in terms of the expansion, 
the top 50% actually saw uh, an increase of 2% of total formal employment. Total payroll for private sector employees also increased by 1.7% after the reform, after the expansion of Bolsa Familia, implying that the formal employment effect was actually concentrated among lower paid occupations. The authors also show that the increase was totally driven by low skilled jobs and that the relative increase was similar to both men and women, but that there was larger effects for black and mixed race population. They also showed that the increase was not concentrated among Bolsa Familia beneficiaries. Actually, it was concentrated on non-beneficiaries. But it's important to bear in mind that these results could be due to either formalization of informal jobs or new formal jobs. But in any case, the results seem to have led to increase in local economy activity. Thanks, Fabia. That's really interesting. And so how does that contrast with the findings of the second paper that you've brought on the effects of a family allowance in Uruguay? Yeah, talking about these potential negative effects on formal labor supply, there is also an interesting paper that came out uh, this year in the Journal of Public Economics, written by Marcelo Bergo and Guillermo Cruces, that look at a similar program, a family allowance in Uruguay, and they, they do find that there is a disincentive to formalization around the eligibility cutoff point. Beneficiaries that are at the margin of the eligibility may not accept a formal job because they fear that they can lose the benefit. And that impact is much larger for women, especially those who are mothers, than the men. This result, for example, is in contracts uh, with a paper by Ana Jolanda Barbosa and Carlos Henrique Corsell from the Institute for Applied Economic Research in, in Brazil that didn't find any impacts on labor reallocation between formal and informal sector, even looking at hours for the case of Bolsa Familia in Brazil. So potential negative effects on labor supply or formalization has, has been at the core of many of the debates on how the design of these programs should change to avoid them. And some of the suggestions have been actually that we need to complement these means-tested cash transfers with active labor market policies. And recently now, with the reform of Bolsa Familia that has just been presented by the government, there are some suggestions that potential beneficiaries that accept a formal job, they can be paid a lump sum to incentivize them to, to get the the formal job. There is also people who advocate for a better design in terms of when you design the exit rules from this program, you should not take away all the benefits. So it should be a smooth a decrease in, in the benefits so that beneficiaries uh, wouldn't change the behavior and reject uh, a formal sector job, for example, for fear of losing the benefit. And also there are others that advocate for universal social transfer as the only way to avoid this type of negative effects. So, for example, many people in Latin America now call for the CCTs to be transformed in sort of a universal child benefit that would not trigger any negative behavior response in terms of labor market participation. But I think that the bottom line here is that actually, even if there are negative effects on formal labor supply, the multiplier effects that are generated by these cash transfers in the local economy actually dominate these negative effects. And also they show that it's basically 
low skilled workers that are going to be benefit of the formalization of the jobs or the generation of new formal jobs. And as you say, will be very interesting to consider as Brazil is thinking about the design of the new Auxilio Brazil program and what the next steps are for social protection. Thank you, Fabio, for your time today. Thank you. We are a production of socialprotection.org, which is the place to go online for free information, research and community on all things social protection. You can follow us on Twitter at SP underscore Gateway and find us on Facebook, YouTube and LinkedIn. Subscribe to this podcast via your favourite podcast provider and please think about leaving a review. We'll be back next month. See you then.